This morning, uh, we're in our third pastor of this sermon sampler platter, and it's an honor and a privilege to have him share with us. He shared last year with us. Um, he was uh, uh, Dr. Pastor Peter's uh, preaching professor. He was Pastor Jason's preaching professor in the 90s. He was my preaching professor, so that may just tell you something about how experienced he is. Um, and I know his heart's desire this morning is uh, that that you would hear from God rather than from him. And so I want to introduce you and welcome up uh, Pastor, Dr., Professor, Mr. Don Zanukian. Would you come on up here, brother? Oh, what a privilege and honor to have you. Thank you. <laughs> that is the most unique introduction that I think ever. <laughs> Made me wonder how long till lunchtime. I think. <laughs> hey, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'd like us to look at a statement that Jesus made when he preached his sermon on the mount. Of all of the statements that he made in that sermon, the one we're going to look at probably is the most well-known statement. And of all of the things that he said on the mountain, what we're going to look at raises the most questions. Okay? So the statement is found in Matthew chapter 5. If you'll turn there, I'll give you time to find it. Matthew chapter 5, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5. And the statement we're going to look at, the most famous, the most troubling of all of the statements is in verses 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. Now, anybody who reads that is going to come away with a lot of troubling questions. Do not resist an evil person. Does that mean if a robber breaks into my house at night, I don't try to stop him, but I hate tell him, Turn the other, let me turn the other cheek. The good stuff is over there. Okay. Do we tell our children not to resist a bully? Should we do away with the police force? Should we disband our army? If the blacks of America were following this, would they still not be riding in the back of the bus? What are we to make of this? You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for... But I say, do not resist an evil person. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. What are we to make of this? Is this practical? Realistic? Is it even consistent consistent with what Jesus did. Did he not at one time grab a bunch of cords like a whip and he drove out people in the temple that he said were defiling his father's house? What are we to make of this? 
to begin to understand it, let's place it in the flow of what Jesus has been saying in this sermon. Rather than lifting out just a couple of verses, let's see it in the sequence of thought that he has been developing. He has a major point in this sermon. He has one central truth that he's trying to get across, and it's this. Our righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day. That's his central truth in the sermon. Our response to God, our obedience to God's word, it must be at a greater depth, a greater understanding than the religious leaders of his day. We find this central truth in verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20, early on in the sermon. We read, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's his main point. Our response to God's word, our obedience, our, our righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the people today. Then he follows that key statement with five examples of what he means. Five times he will tell what their righteousness is. He, and each one of these examples will be, you have heard it said five times. You have sir, heard it was said long ago, but I tell you, here's what the heart of God really had in mind. So we will read five examples of the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day, and we will see that their righteous response to God's law, they are perverting God's word. They are, they are minimizing it. They are finessing it. They are manipulating around it. They are not understanding it. They are giving shallow responses to it. Their righteousness to the, what God's word has said is substandard. And Jesus will follow that by saying, you have heard what they have taught you, but I say to you. The first example is in chapter 5, verse 21, right after the key, uh, phrase, a key uh, a point. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And you know what your religious leaders have taught you. As long as you refrain from the physical act of actually taking somebody's life, you're all right. You've done what God wanted. Do not murder. But I tell you, that's not what God had in mind. God had in mind that intent of your heart with such hatred that you looked at somebody and said, if I could wipe you off the face of the earth, I would. I thought I could get away with it. I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother is already liable to the judgment. They have already crossed over the line of what God had. The second example is in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And you know what they've taught you. They've taught you that you satisfied God long as long as you refrained from the physical act. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. Anyone who looks and says, oh man, wish I could get inside you. Wish I could strip you down. Take a, no. 
Already you have moved beyond the righteousness that God was asking. The third example is in verse, oh, verse 33. You have heard that it was said to the people, do not break your oath, but I tell you, have such a reputation for truthfulness and honesty, you don't need to swear on a stack of Bibles for somebody to believe you. Let your yea be nay, yea, and your nay be nay. You don't need to make oaths at all. So help me, God. Your righteousness must go beyond the Pharisees who took an oath by heaven in order to convince people they could trust them. The fourth example, that's the one we're going to look at. You have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The fifth example is in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say, love your enemy. So we have five examples. Every example, Jesus will cite how the religious leaders of his day took some command of the Old Testament, some phrase, some, some saying of the Old Testament, and they taught the people, here's how to respond. Here's how your behavior should be based on that sentence. And Jesus says, they're wrong. It's inadequate. It's shallow. They're misunderstanding. Their heart is not with what God intends. And so our righteousness must penetrate to the heart of God and discover what does God have in mind when he gives these safe sentences. And that brings us to the question of what does it mean when it says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That is in the Old Testament. It occurs more than once in the Old Testament. It's a biblical phrase. It's a good command. It has a place in our country and in our lives. But what is that place? Okay. Let's look at a couple of places in the Old Testament and let's see this phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and let's get a handle on how did God intend it to play a part in our lives, okay? So let's go back first to Leviticus chapter 24, and let's look at the phrase as it occurs there. Leviticus is the third book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Let's go back to Leviticus 24, and let's begin to see first thing we're going to see is that when God said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, he was giving the first sign of justice in a savage world. He was giving a limiting law to the punishment that could be given to a person. He was saying you may only punish a person up to the damage that they have caused. You may not punish them more than that. We would say cruel and unusual punishment. You can only punish a person to the extent of how they may have harmed another person. You cannot go beyond that. It was a sign of justice. It was a sign of fairness. And God is going to say you have to apply this sign not only to your citizens, but to your immigrants, to your non-citizens, to the aliens who are within your society. Let's read it. Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 18. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life, an animal for an animal. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has injured the other, 
so he is to be injured. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution. Whoever kills a man must be put to death. You are to have this same equitable, just, fair, even-handed law. You are to have the same law for the alien, the stranger, the immigrant, the non-citizen, as well as the native-born, the people who are part of your own community. You see, the ancient world operated on the same principle that two boys operate on in the back seat of the car. Okay? One boy against this side of the car, he begins to infringe on the sacred space of the other boy. The other boy on the other side sees this monstrous violation and whack! And the other boy goes, BAM! And the other boy goes, ah! And there is an escalation of the violence. There is a retaliation beyond the provocation. And that's how it was in the ancient world. If somebody came into your village and killed somebody, the next night you gathered all your warriors together and you went into the other village and you massacred all the village. If somebody hit you in the mouth or loosened a tooth, you waited till they weren't working, you took a two by four and you smashed across their jaw, it took bridge work to put it back together again. You hear the savagery, this excessive violence in the ancient world. You hear it in Genesis chapter four. There's a man named Lamech there. And he calls to his wife and he says, listen to me. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me. Hear it? I have killed a young lad for striking me. There is a retaliation. And into that savage world, God stepped and he said to his people, you may not do that. You may only punish to the level of what they have done. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, fracture for fracture. No more. So the first thing we discover is that God gave this as a principle to limit revenge, a principle to stop retaliation beyond excessive retaliation. There's a second thing we discover about this phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Not only did God give it as a fair and just limiting of excessive punishment, we also discover that this principle was to be used in the court system. It was a principle for justice as determined by the judicial system. It was a principle for public justice, not a principle for private revenge. It was to operate through the court system. Let's see that this if we turn to Deuteronomy 19. After Leviticus comes Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 19, eye for eye, is something that the judges used to determine what was a just punishment. It was passed down through those who were in the authority to decide the cases of Israel. It was not something that somebody took into their own hands and decided to follow through on. Look at it in verse Deuteronomy 19, verse 16. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse a man of a crime. All right, we've got a courtroom scene here. 
a malicious witness, a lying witness, is going to stand up and swear, take the stand, and he's going to accuse one of his fellow citizens of a crime. The two men involved in the dispute, they must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at that time. They will act as the right representatives. The judges must make a thorough investigation. And if the witness, the accusing witness, proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against an innocent brother in order to get some punishment put on this innocent man, then you do to this false witness as he intended to do to his brother. Whatever penalty he was hoping to get put on this innocent man, the judges are to put that on him. You must purge the evil of false testimony, of perjury, from among you. The rest of the people will hear that the false witness got his own penalty put back on him. They will hear of this. They will be afraid. Never again will such an evil thing be done among you as false accusations. Show no pity to this malicious witness. Here it is. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. Whatever penalty he was attempting to get put on his innocent brother, you put that penalty on him. So eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was a principle for public just for justice as determined publicly. It was not a principle to take into one's hand for our private relationships. And that's what the religious leaders were saying. The religious leaders were finding this phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and they were telling the people of Israel, the Bible in the Old Testament says that in your dealings with one another, your everyday relationships with people that you know, as you move through the different circles of your life, stand up for your rights. Don't take any guff. Somebody gives it to you, give it right back to them. Teach them they can't walk all over you, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Show them that you're not somebody that they can walk over. And Jesus says, that's not the heart of God. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, good principle. Good for the American court system. Good for a principle of justice within our society. But it's not a principle for our individual dealings, for our right relationships. And that brings us then to what Jesus is saying. Let me go back to what he says in Matthew 5. I say to you, in your one-on-one -on -one dealings, in the relationships with the people you know, in the circles that you move in, in the everyday contacts that you have, do not resist the evil that is done to you. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, now, what is Jesus asking us to do? When he says, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. What is he asking us to do? Let me, let me see if I can, I can illustrate this. Uh, good sir, would you help me out? Come here. Come on. There you go. Come on up here. <clears throat> What's your name? Jerry. Jerry? All right, Jerry. Oh, Jerry, you're bigger than me. <laughs> Stand over here, Jerry. All right, now don't get mad, all right? Okay. All right. Now, I'm a right-handed man. If I'm going to strike Jerry on the right cheek, what kind of a blow is that going to have to be? Backhanded. 
The only way I can strike him on the right cheek, which is right there, is I've got to go. <laughs> oh, don't be a big head. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. What kind of a blow is that? If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, what kind of, that's not a blow designed to inflict the maximum amount of damage. Ah, maximum amount of damage. Bah! No, no, that's a, that's a blow of contempt. That's a blow of insult. That's something we see when we see the movies and there's a duel and somebody pulls a little glove off. and <laughs> That's a blow calculated to show how little I think of you. Jesus is talking about the times when you and I perceive that somebody is jabbing at us. Not everybody around us. They may be getting along well with everybody else, but for some reason, they have it in for us. They take every opportunity to let us know how little they think of us. It's a scornful, humiliating, insulting kind of blow. It's the person at work. Gets along well with everybody else, compliments them, willing to help them, with, you know, if they're behind on their work. But if you ever ask for help, yeah, do your own work. I see. I got my own job to do. You do yours. If you make a little bit of a mistake somewhere, they call attention to it loudly in front of other people. Okay, messed up again. Okay. And you wonder, why are you picking on me? What's the problem between us? I get along with everybody else. You get along with everybody else. But for some reason, you're... <laughs> it's the relative. It's the relative who badmouths you always. Always waits to either pick on what you're wearing or what you look like or what you did last time you do that. Somehow communicating to other members of the family that, you know, you're just not up to snuff anymore. It could be the professor at school. Not just that they are against Christianity, but when something comes up, they call on you. Would you like to make a comment about this? And you know what they're doing is they're trying to get you to speak up so they can just ridicule you in front of the whole class. Why are you so anxiously knocking at me? It's the times when you and I perceive that for some reason somebody is just doing evil to us, striking us on the left cheek, on the right cheek, telling us, so what I think of you. Jesus says, when that happens, your natural tendency is to strike back, to fight back, to answer back, to retaliate, a little bit of revenge. He says, no, don't resist that. In fact, turn the other cheek. Lay yourself open for it to occur again. Do nothing to stop another instance of it happening. Do not resist, but just leave yourself open for more of the same. And our question is, why, Lord? Why? What's the reason for doing that? Won't it just let them know that they can walk all over me and there'll be no consequences? What purpose? What is gained? Why? To get the answer to that question, 
We're going to turn to Romans 12, where we will see the reason why. Romans is in the New Testament. After the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans. Romans 12. What is gained by not resisting those personal insults and jabs? Just absorbing it, letting more happen. What is gained? The answer of Romans 12 is going to be this. When God's man or God's woman turns the other cheek, that may be the last link that joins that person to our God. When God's man or God's woman does not retaliate, but turns the other cheek, that may be the last link in a series of events that are going on in that person's life which are unknown to us. And our turning the other cheek may be the last in the sequence of events which joins them to our God. Let's see this in Romans 12. We're going to read verse... 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. There it is. Do not resist. Do not retaliate. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. Do not retaliate. Okay? Do not take revenge. My friends, leave that to God. If revenge is called for, if there's retaliation, leave, leave room for God's wrath. God has written, hey, it's mine to retaliate. It's mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's my job, not yours. Don't you take any contrary action against this person. Instead, what should you do? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Why should you turn the other cheek? Why should you not retaliate, but just leave it open? In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's why. That's what's gained. You will heat burning coal. You say, what in the world is that? And somebody says, oh, 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 I get it, I get it. When they're mean to you, be nice to them. It will drive them up a tree. Eh? No, no. What? Burning coals on the head. This refers to a, an ancient ritual that came out of Egypt. It came into the Old Testament as a proverb. You can read the phrase in the Old Testament about heaping burning coals on the head, and it reflects a custom that started in Egypt. And the custom was this. When somebody in a village in Egypt discovered that they had been wrong about something, maybe the day before they had said something about a person and it was negative, and today they discovered, oh, my, my I, didn't have, I didn't have the right information. I totally misjudged that person. I should never have. I was wrong to say that. 
or maybe the day before in a council meeting they advocated a certain policy and today they discovered that would have been a disastrous policy. Oh, I was wrong. To, when a person discovered that they were wrong, how would they communicate to the rest of the village that they had changed their mind and that now they saw the error of their way? I mean, there's no mass emails, there's no uh, social media, there's no you know, way to go on the television and broadcast. I mean, how do you do it? And so they had developed a way of communicating it. The person who had discovered that they were wrong, he would fire up or she would fire up a bunch of hot coals, put them into a shallow wok kind of pan, and with a towel and the wok pan on the head, heaped up burning coals of fire on their head, they would walk into the public square where everybody would see this symbolism which said, my mind has been burned clean, my thoughts have been purified, I have changed what I was thinking. It was a way of saying to the community, I was wrong. I was wrong. And the scripture is saying, when you and I turn the other cheek, Unknown to us, something is going on that we are not aware of in this person's life. And they are picking at us, and they are jabbing at us. They are trying to get us riled up. Why? Because something is going on inside them. God is trying to draw them to himself, and they're fighting against it. And they're resisting what God is doing. And they look in their environment to see who is acting on behalf of God. And it's you. And so their way of fighting God is knocking you down. If they can get you to lash out back at them, good. Then they have resisted God. And when you don't do anything, God gets through. You see this happening with Saul of Tarsus. Saul is persecuting the Christians in the New Testament. He's killing them. He's traveling to Damascus to get letters of extradition to bring them back to Jerusalem and to stone them to death. Saul is doing that. Why? And on the road to Damascus, Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's the Christians who are dying. Jesus is in heaven. No, Jesus knows where the issue is. Saul is fighting against God. Saul is fighting against Jesus. Because if Jesus is who the Christian claims he is, everything in Saul's life is no longer valid. Everything that Saul has built his reputation on and his self-image on counts for nothing. If Jesus is the Christ, then Saul's righteousness counts for nothing. If he is the Christ, then Saul's education counts for nothing. If he is the Christ, Saul's entire life comes crashing down. And Saul is desperately trying to build that up. And then Jesus says to him on the Damascus Road, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? The prodding that I'm doing to bring you to me, a goad, a goad was a, a, a long stick that was kind of about the thickness of my finger, but it was pointed at one end, and it was something that the farmer used when he was plowing and the ox decided to stop plowing, okay? And the farmer would put the sharp point into the ox and the ox would start moving again. And at a certain point, the ox said to himself, I'm not going to take whatever that is anymore. Next time that thing hits me, I'm going to kick it right back. And so, and the ox kicks against the, oh, no, 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 no. You don't kick against hard pointed sticks. 
There's no profit in doing that. What are the goads that God is using? What was the last goad before Paul, Saul, left to go on that trip to Damascus? It was standing over the pit, watching Stephen's life be crushed out as they hurled boulders down upon him. And as Saul supervised that execution of that innocent man, Stephen, what did he hear coming out of Stephen's mouth? Not, you're going to go to hell for this! Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And with that goad drawing him, as Saul lay on the road in the Damascus, on his way to Damascus, he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Unknown to us, we don't know how God is drawing people. We don't know that their child started going to young life at high school and has come home talking about accepting Jesus. We don't know that their mother is sending them Max Lucado books to read. We don't know that they were channel surfing and came across an old Billy Graham crusade, watched it for a few minutes and said, ah, enough of that. We don't know that one of them has been invited to a, a men's breakfast or a women's luncheon at some particular church. We don't know what's going on. All we know is that God is saying to us, if we turn the other cheek and do not retaliate, that becomes another means by which Christ-likeness, godly behavior, becomes a goad or an attraction in their life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Good phrase, don't apologize. It's a good phrase for American justice. But it's not a phrase for our individual dealings on a personal level. For us, though evil may be done to us, we do not return evil. Instead, we leave it open for more to occur because God is telling us that when we turn the other cheek, it may be the last link which joins them to our God. Our Lord, we thank you that we can be your instruments, even unknowing. We pray, Father, that maybe you might give us some pleasurable knowledge that somebody might say to us someday because of how we were kind when they were mean that it just got them desiring more of what we had and we will know then that our obedience to you has been useful in Jesus name we pray amen as we sing this last song can we all stand together